This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning, this is Talking Devils, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by United legend Paul Parker to talk over the epic <coughs> final um, between Manchester United and Manchester City of the weekend. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your comments and questions in. If you're watching the replay, say hello and uh, comment. You know, we still reply to the comments we get on the replays. If you're listening back on the audio podcast as well, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on the platform you're listening on. Right, so FA Cup final, Paul, Manchester City 2, Manchester United 1, two goals from Ilkay Gundogan um, early in each half, um, both edge of the box, screamers, or shots that the defence or goalkeeper could have done better with. Um, before we actually get into the game, we'll talk about the team setup itself. Um, a lot of people talk about how we were going to deal with that um, beforehand. You know, there were a few key areas that people weren't sure on uh, whether or not Shaw would play in the middle. Um, you know, if Dallo or Malassia would play on the left, if Fred would start in the middle, whether Garnacho would start, all of these things really. And, and yeah, all right, in hindsight, it's easy to turn around and say, all right, well, we lost the game, so that means he made the wrong call. But I like to think we're. A little bit more even-handed than that. Um, how do you think he set up on Saturday? Do you think that he did the fair thing, or do you think that there's a couple of things that you would have changed in there? Um, I think the only one, and it's not in hindsight, but I think it's a fact, and I think the way the majority of supporters would have fought anyway, Donato should have started before Sancho. I think that's that's the only way I can. That's the only one I would say. I can, I can understand Fred playing in a way to have more energy and legs in there because of the way City shift the ball around, but there'd be other negatives to why maybe Fred was playing as well. So I think Ganacho is the one that sticks out like a sore thumb and his performance when he come on, the difference he made yeah. as an attacking threat, he, he, to be honest, he ended up as one of one of United's best players, to be perfectly yeah. honest, because he come on and he was a threat. He played... He played with his heart and he played with a, a desire to try and win a game of football. And Carl Walker suddenly had to work harder and think harder yeah. about what he was what he was going to do. You know, we, everyone talks about how quick Carl Walker is, but if you play up against him with a bit of brains as what Canacho did, 
he didn't bother trying to think, oh, I'm not going to win that race. He just played with his head. And so that mean that that was great. I mean, that was a good call to get him on. But as we know, and I use that word hindsight again, it was it was too late. Maybe maybe 90 minutes too late, to be perfectly yeah. honest, of him of going that way. I look at the rest of it and I don't think he could have done anything else. I thought Lindelof done really well against Haaland. Yeah. I thought initially he tried to be physical. Um, I don't think you can fight fire with fire. I think you have to play against Haaland. You have to play with a little bit of guile because yeah. you know that you ain't going to fight him. He reminds me of a, a modern-day Sparky in the sense of he's willing to take a whack. You saw if any other centre-forward had taken the whacks he'd have got, he would have spent 50 minutes on the floor. But he stood up. He stood his ground and everyone could have a go at him. And he's, he wanted to say, I'm stronger than you. And the referee saw that as well. And the referee was willing to let that go. Otherwise, it would have been ridiculous. The game would have kept stopping. But I thought Lindelof done really, really well against him. A few times got caught ball watching and he runs in behind. Lucky enough, the ball never got through. But um, Haaland is, is only going to become a better player as he goes on. He'll be even better next season with another pre-season behind him. But um, looking at the back four, did okay. I thought if we look at the first half, Wan-Bissaka was the best player in the, um, in the sense of he was doing his job and he was trying to get forward. You know, he, he got the penalty. Some say it wasn't. Some say it is. I would say it is in the modern game. I would have been disappointed if it had gone against United because I'm still in that belief of deliberate handball. Um, there's not much else you can do when you jump. Your arms are going to go up. Um, but I look at the rest of it, Wan-Bissaka done, done well overall. I think he's been let down badly by a fellow pro who cheated in Jack Grealish. Disgusting what he'd done. Um, but other than that, really, you look in midfield, um, Ericsson, was, um, he had his poorest game. Really, yeah. really, really, really struggled. Casemiro, there was good bits. I think his tackle is debatable. Another another one. Um, Fernandez doesn't wasn't in it enough when you needed someone like him. You needed your your big player, your best your best attacking threat in the game more. Um, can you get more out of Casemiro if he had a if he had someone with legs around him and someone who who would, who would actually play more as a team player rather than as an individual in that midfield with him. And when we talk about a front three, I don't think it's worth talking about because they just wasn't there. It was embarrassing. <clears throat> front three was in, absolutely embarrassing, Wayne. I, so, first of all, about the Fernandez thing, because Fernandez was moved right. Obviously, the idea mm. was to put Fred on De Bruyne and hope that he would do it. But De Bruyne, from what, I, I saw it and I haven't watched the game back, but from what I saw of it, De Bruyne had just dropped a little bit deeper and he, he was running everywhere. He enjoyed the freedom that he gave himself, like great players do. Yeah. Fred wasn't really following him. Um, uh, Fernandez meant then that, I mean, that meant that Fernandez played on the, the right and it works at Old Trafford in big games. But I don't think it's going to work in a cup. Well, he didn't. And again, this is with hindsight. Um, that you know, it's a big pitch. You kind of need him in the key areas where you're going to affect the player that you need playing wide right in a game like that. Is someone who's going to work hard and, and track the line. And 
I'm not saying Fernandez doesn't have those qualities, um, but United in in that kind of environment, especially because you've got Eriksen who was always going to tire, and you hope that he has a bigger impact than what he does. If you don't have Fernandez in there, you don't have those interconnecting relationships, and you, you really leave in Casemiro and Eriksen to struggle. I mean, I, look, I understood. I understood the selection, don't get me wrong. And if I was picking the team, and I think when I was doing previews before before the game, I was saying Fernandez outright, but and I am saying now it is with the benefit of hindsight looking at it. Yeah, just quickly, Wayne, just what see, it was said to me before the game, someone said to me, There's a chance that Fred's gonna play. And they said, and I said, the only way that's gonna work then if Fernandez goes to the right. The problem is every time Fernandez goes to the right and he doesn't get a lot of the ball, he starts getting frustrated. He starts waving his arms about, and when when he does get the ball, he gets erratic because he feels he's got to do something because he's hardly touched it. So in a way, you're looking at a positive for the team, but then all of a sudden it becomes a negative for the team because you're 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 losing a player, you're losing his um, work ethic, you're losing his ability on the ball, and then you've got a player on your team who is playing and he's emotional because that he wants the ball all the time as much as possible and he's not being fed so straight away he becomes an individual rather than a team player. Yeah. It just it just doesn't work. And I just think and I'm a bit disappointed sometimes with Tenar because I look at the club where he's come from and that club has lived and breathed young young players and produced so many great young Dutch players or, you know, young players who have gone there from other countries and become you know, playing in European competitions at 17 and 18. Yeah. Why hasn't he given Ganacho that run, that start? I mean, he's pulled Fred out of the out of the wilderness to start an FA Cup final, which everyone, you know, you kind of go, really? Let me know. And then you've got someone there who's hungry. You took him away from representing his country in a, you know, in a big competition, and you haven't given you haven't given him a go. Now he's gone and straight away answered all the questions. Which everyone said he's coming to a big game against maybe the best side in Europe, and he's delivered for for you know for a good few minutes. So what's it going to take for him to get that opportunity? Why did he start before Sancho's form did not deserve to start an FA Cup final? Yeah, it was you know everyone's talking. Oh, Matt Martial's missing. Martial did not deserve to start an FA Cup final. If anything, the better way might have been to start Veghorst through the middle. Yeah. It might no, have I been, think, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's fair. And, and uh, yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating for Veghorst. I don't think you are either. Where we're saying no. the situation was that bad. That, oh, United hands were that tied that that might have been the best option considering the, the players that we had available. And I, I look at that, Paul, and I... And I it is an interesting point. The, the 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 flip side with the Garnacho thing was, and the reason why I, I understood that was that he's a game changer from the bench. And United United had nothing else from the bench that could potentially change the game ups. And and obviously when he came on, he did do that. But the argument which you make is much, much more sensible. And everyone else was saying it when when I was talking to them before the match about it. You start your best player in the cup final. Or your best players, you don't go for the game-changing thing. You hope that they make the difference, and then you you mm-hmm. change the game to make it tighter. Um, and yeah, we we obviously I'm talking with hindsight. Um, a lot of people were saying that before the game that Garnacho should start. Um, and yeah, it's clear to see that we would have probably had a little bit more joy. Um, let, let's talk about the game itself. Then, yeah. I mean, 
look, he was all a bit flat from that first minute, really. Um, a well-worked goal. United didn't even lay a glove on him. Um, you've seen history there, uh, 12 or 13 seconds it took for him to score. Um, and a great strike. A lot of complaints about De Gea or the defence not getting there. Um, and it was a training ground goal. Um, disappointing to concede all, all around. And really, that made it a bit of a flat of affair, really. I mean, we had a good period in the first half towards the end after getting the penalty, that stroke look, because we were... I mean, we never looked, even in that time after the goal, it never looked like we had a spell where we would get on top of the game. And, you know, United's issue was always going to be this, that on the big pitch and the, the weather being so warm, those elements combined perfectly for City's approach <coughs> Keeping the ball, wearing you down, you really have to be clinical and cold and economic with the choices that you're making on the ball in United. Um, and this is a quality. I'm not saying that this is a detriment. A quality of United is that they've got a lot of emotional players, like you've just said, Paul. But in a big game like that, you need ice in the veins. You need players making the right decisions. They need to be patient off the ball. And they need to be making the right decisions when in a few moments when they get it on a game like that. Um, and we didn't have that. Um, and I'm not saying that you resign yourself to just losing the game of football. I think United kept it tight. It didn't make it a good spectacle. I thought it was a, a poor cup final. I don't think it's particularly good football from City as well. But it's effective. Don't get me wrong. It wins games. It wins trophies. It wins titles. They've got the best players. They exploit the spaces. And they do that, you know. I don't want to say that we were resigned to what we saw. There were probably things that we could have done. We've already talked about the personnel. I don't really know in terms of match. Once you've got those players on the pitch, in terms of match approach, I don't really see what else United could have done. I mean, were the goals avoidable? A lot of people were very critical of De Gea for the second one as well. There was a, there's a goalkeeper analysis that said like 80 98% of the time, or not, it was a very high number, something between like 80 and 90 times out of 100, a goalkeeper saves that shot. And I'm not so sure that that's true. Um, but, you know, those are the stats, apparently. Um, and there was some like, you know, there were a couple of goals that De Gea's conceded this season that 98% of goalkeepers wouldn't have let in. And uh, there's been a couple of errors, but I think that's absolutely, you know, like, that's a very high number, 98 times out of 100 that goals like that wouldn't go in. You see goal, goals going all the time for different things, but De Gea seems to be the one who always gets called out for it. Don't get, I don't, don't get me wrong, he could have done that. When I'm watching that game in real time, I'm not thinking, oh God, De Gea's letting, letting us down there. I think there's root calls for, for the Gunder, the first goal in particular. I'm not looking at the goalkeeper thinking what, you know, he's a bit closer to him. He's not dead, dead in the corner, but there's so many problems that caused that first goal before he gets to De Gea. Um, what did you make of the, the pattern of the game overall, starting with conceding the first goal? Because obviously once they've done that, City just had the... They could do, play the game and they didn't have to break a sweat, and which seems to be in the weather. Yeah, but, I, I, you know, I look at it and the first goal, all about saying, you know, initially saying, what a great goal. Why does everyone want to look at the goalkeeper? Why want to take it away? Because it was a great goal. You know, don't suddenly, you know, don't suddenly just give a, a, you know, give a goal as a goal of a season and then say, oh yeah, but the goalkeeper was rubbish though. Yeah, it was a, someone struck strikes it that well and that early 
Remember how early that ball was hit when it, you know when it come to him, and it, it caught it caught a goalkeeper out, and he just hit it, and it's gone up, and it's come down, and sometimes you just can't do anything about it. You know, certain people have got to go and stand or be in, in that situation, stand in the middle of goal and just think, let someone shoot from someone and say, you know, can you position yourself that you can actually save every single one? And the answer to it is no, you can't. You forget about the save you made from Haaland, which would have killed the game. Yeah. You know, the little, people keep forgetting that. Let's talk about the situation, how it gets gets there. When, when the ball bounces, Lindelof goes in with a header with De Bruyne, then the ball gets actually gets then to Gundogan. Who can who can you blame for that? You know, it's easy to come out and keep naming outfield players, but they don't have to, they don't actually live with it for long. Goalkeepers live with it for so long as David De Gea has. If you're reading so many things, people saying, "Oh, get get him out of my club!" Like he's been a disgrace for how many years? Thirteen years is it? He's been at the club. Twelve? I don't know. No, no 2011, 10, twelve. years. And you think, so has he been that bad all the way through? And you kind of go, well, no, he hasn't. Mm. And we are still allowed, given what's gone on in the world in the last few years, we are allowed to actually, you know, look at history and go back a bit and just remember what he'd done for Manchester United during a very lean time. And again, I say he won, he won players player of the year three times or player of the year three times in the bounce for a goalkeeper. That tells you the crisis that Manchester United were in. And he's still doing a good job now. <clears throat> so a lot of them have got to remember this moment and then maybe after he departs, two, three years on, and then they might really see how good he really is because they most probably will get what they want, a goalkeeper who can pass the ball like Franz Beckenbauer or to the, the modern-day person, I'm going to come out and say a Varane to a point, um, um, a Martinez can pass it like them. We can do all that. The issue will be, can they actually, after not doing anything for 10, 15 minutes, make a match-winning save? Or, you know, or save that keeps Manchester United in a game? Or, or you know, or call it a save that wins a game? Is the goalkeeper going to be able to do that? Because that's how you judge your best goalkeepers. Everyone's, ra- everyone's raving about um, Man City's Ortega. Everyone's going, oh, he was great. Look at his feet. Look at his feet. And you look at him and you think to yourself, well, you never got tested by United at all. How good a goalkeeper is he really? You know, is he, you know, that's the bit we don't know. You know, so that's, that's the mad thing now. Everyone's judging goalkeepers by how good they can pass the ball. Oh, he kept kicking the ball out. Yeah, he kicked the ball out. He made a mistake, as players do more often than goalkeepers. So that bit with De Gea does, it still grates me how people keep wanting to pull him down. And yet those same people will be there trying to praise him when he actually leaves the club and they remember everything he's done. Yeah. You know, history's, history's for a reason. I remember um, when we signed Bartes and he was like, the, the idea with Bartes was, oh, he's a modern goalkeeper, he's better with his feet. Mm. And that was good for like a year. But then the the problem that you get with a goalkeeper that's good with his feet or that he, he passes more than he, you know, that he, he plays the role of a conventional goalkeeper is that because they're passing more often, because they're involved in the build-up from the back more often, they've still got an eye propensity to make a mistake when they pass the ball. And 
we saw that many times with Bartes. He made a, like a couple of very high-profile errors, um, which cost us games out, and that's why he was kicked out. Oh, not kicked out, jettisoned. Why he was replaced in the end, and then yeah. we eventually went with um, Van der Sar when we, you know, went through Carroll and, and Howard to get to Van der Sar. None of those three were as good as Bartes with the ball at his feet, but they were. I, I wouldn't say you know Bartes was a good goalkeeper. He just um, obviously Van der Sar was a different level um, to to him, and you, you're quite right. I think in two or three years, you know, like you, you see Edison and Allison, they've made plenty of errors um, that have cost goals and yeah. their bad positioning and stuff like that. But they, don't but they suddenly think, they suddenly think they're outfield players and want to do drag backs and things like that. That's the problem. That's the yeah. problem. I'm I'm 100 sure that Edison has not been a goalkeeper from day one. He was an average outfield player who's gone backwards. Yeah, in uh, that sense. Uh, um, let's talk about then um, the the reaction though to that goal because obviously the first goal goes in Paul and it and it changes the dynamic of the game. It's they it's perfectly set up for City to just stroll through the afternoon. They they've got the ball in positions where they can. Create pockets of space, create, make the pitch very big, spread the play. Have United chasing shadows, and that's basically what happened over the ninety minutes, really. Apart from United coming back into it for that little spell. Yeah, it was. I mean, the goal did goal made it. Goal, people score goals that early; it makes a big difference. It, it totally kills the hours leading up to the game, especially a game of that magnitude as well. And what I, I was just sitting up there in the press pit, and I'm watching it, and you know, I'm I'm doing the radio. And a few times I'm, I'm virtually shouldn't have been. I should have been flipped my mic off, kind of shouting because I'm watching. I I'm watching John Stones float into the box on his own, and must have done it four times, and only once did it get to him. Yeah. And, it, and lucky enough, I think there was a block coming. But if they'd have got the ball to him off of this, off of the near side, um, the first half and the near side of um the pitch. You know, he would have had been shooting at goal one on one with David De Gea. It was, and I think myself, how is he doing that? When someone does it once, you think, right, you've been, I've been embarrassed. I can't allow that happen again. My teammates are having a go at me. He'd done it four times into that box on his own, and no one, no one near him, no one, no one taking responsibility, no one working hard. And then you're looking on the other side of it, and Bernardo Silva was causing um, Luke Shaw problems. Luke again gets emotional, wants to get physical to show how strong he is, forgets about helping his left side centre half and there's big gaps in between him and Lindelof because he's not stepping in. He All he wants to do is get close to Bernardo Silva and try and you know knock him out of his elbow and things like that. There's players running off all day long when the back four, Luke Shaw, Lindelof, Varane, wan see runners, if they can't shout someone in, they go and take responsibility to the nearest one to the goal and leave the furthest one out wide away. Away from it, he, the chance of him scoring for there are, are very, you know, more difficult. But there wasn't, there was no communication. Luke Shaw, poor defensively in the first half. He made one run forward in that first half. That tells you how poor Luke Shaw was. Never never made an effort going forward, you know. He made he made Wan-Bissaka look like Cafu. You know, he was doing was up and down that line. And and that's why Jack Jack um Grealish was doing his petulance, petulance washerwoman act. 
every time he was tackled, he, he wanted to um, berate the referee because he couldn't deal with him because he didn't want to be running that way. And I don't know whether or not he was told by Ten Hag to do that, but he'd done a fantastic job. A fantastic job, Juan Pesaka. And it was ruined by a fellow pro, you know, letting himself down and then affecting him in his head about him making challenges. So um, United, first half, were very, very poor. Fortunate to go in at 1-1 and given the opportunity to come out in the second half and have a go. But as we know, they come out in the second half and it was something very similar, I think, from a corner. From a corner, and again, Gundogan is standing in and around the edge of the box on his own. Once bit and twice shy comes to mind, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about the goal from the kickoff. How does a midfield player get in that area with that much space around him and score a goal? You know, he's but saying that's only someone like, say, i.e. a Brian Robson can answer that question because Robbo did those kind of things all day long. He yeah. scored so many goals from that area, making his own space just by just by gambling and maybe hoping, believing that if there's anything, a second ball around, I'm going to get on it. Not that the fact I'm going to get on it and I'm going to be on my own and I'm going to have enough time to pull my leg back and hit it without anybody being close to me. So um, it was it was just, just ridiculous how after staying in the game, getting back into the game and then coming out second half again, everything being refreshed in the heads, got to do this, got to do that and bang. You know, straight away they're on the back foot and should have been no response after that because City just dominated and dominated and City were just poor, really, when it mattered at the end. The, um, at the end they weren't clinical enough taking their opportunity, decisions, poor decisions in the end because you could see the frustration of a lot of City players having a go at their teammates because they were making the wrong decisions. So they had an off day, but their off day looked a damn sight better than United's one. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sort of reflects in what we saw in the final overall. It, you know, it wasn't great. Um, and yeah, not to bang this same drum again of saying, you know, it's what we were resigned to. We weren't really, but it's the kind of game that you expected, you know, if, if United didn't start great. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes City do start fast. But United are renowned bad starters as well. I mean, we're not talking this team, I'm talking historically. But, you know, I still feel like out of the ground, come out of the ground, United, like it didn't take that long. So I, I know a few people have been sort of like carrying the weight of it for a couple of days, but I, I'm not, you know, it's disappointing to lose a cup final, but it's not like um, I don't feel despondent about it. I kind of expected it. That I don't think the golfing class was massive. I come away thinking, I look at the players that we had available. City was still favourites to win that game. And they won it narrowly. I don't think that we did ourselves justice. I don't think that we played as well as we could have done. And you look at that game, still looking at the areas in which we can improve and saying, yep, those are the areas, those are the bridges that we need to, to get over to close the gap. Um, in terms of quality, I mean, the, the thing that we have shown is that we can beat City on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And that, this is very much a case of going back to when um, Chelsea were taken over. Um, and we could beat them on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, and then even back in the 80s, you'd beat Liverpool, and it's like you can beat them, but you can't. It's about getting the points on the board in the other 38 
uh, 30, well, 38 wins in 42 games, or 40 games, 36 games now. So it's about getting the points on the board in those in those games, really. And um, Ten Hag's job is going to be difficult because we've talked about the qualities that are in this team, and, and they are qualities. I mean, look, we in the last few weeks, Fernandez has been in good form. He's responded generally well. I think this is a podcast where we'll give criticism and praise in equal measure. I mean, the turnaround that we've given Shaw a couple of times on this podcast where we've criticised him one season and praised him heavily. Um, so we're happy to give that praise. But those two, I've just mentioned there, two of those players, and there are others as well. Garnacho looks like he's probably one, although he looks a little bit more icy than the others. They do play emotionally. And and the thing that you've the that Ten Hag's got to try and do is, is try and either balance that with more ice cold um, experience coming in, or um, just somehow get into their heads to make the right decisions at, at clinical moments. Because that what the thing that's stopping us isn't being as good as City. Or you know that that can happen if United get four new players, City can still expect to play like they did on on Saturday they can still do the same kind of thing because they're still the best squad in Europe, do you know? And you're not going to match them in one transfer window, regardless of who the owners are, by the way. And we'll get to that in a little moment. But Ten Hag's job is to match this next part of the transition and make United more clinical so that, all right, on a one-on-one game, anything can happen. Make United better equipped for those one-on-one games. Fine, that's, that's great. But in the meantime made them better equipped to accumulate all the points in the 36 games against every other team because you don't play Manchester City every single game. Um, sorry, I'm just muting Paul there for a moment. A little bit of noise going on. Um, and I don't think it's Paul who's upset about the cup final. That might be my, the echoes of my phone call, my voicemails to Paul over the weekend, <laughs> even though I said that I took the defeat in, in good, um, good humour. No, but, but seriously speaking with Ten Hag, his job, his responsibility over this next, um, well, the next year, really, it, it'll be seen in the players that he buys and the players that he's recruiting. And you can kind of see it with the players that are identified so far. He has to make sure that the the good qualities that are in this squad, and they are good qualities, even if we're critical of them in the bigger aspects of the individual moments on, on Saturday, like Sean and Fernandez. We were talking about the isolation of those moments, particularly Fernandez. He's played outright. You know, for whatever reason, uh, for whatever reason, Tenog chose to play him out there. You are diluting his importance or his effectiveness to the side because you're not playing him in the area in which he can make the greater influence. Yes, all right, that's because of the the situation that we had with the selection in other areas. What I'm trying to say is, hopefully, that the the decisions that he makes in recruiting the right players. Um, and moving forward in, in the way that he manages the squad as well. Um, Ten Hag's own decisions with selections uh, are included in this, that those will improve to the point where we can accumulate more points over those um, 36 games. That's going to be the key difference for United next season. Um, but, you know, all in all, yeah, all right, we can maybe say one or two changes. So we're not really being that critical of Ten Hag as well. Maybe he waited a little bit long in bringing Garnacho on. Paul, um, I just uh, we've talked about this three or four times over the last few weeks, but it was all kind of like ifs and buts. It was kind of like if we do this, how do we rate what Ten Hag has done? done? You know, how, how do we rate his first season? But now we've seen this first season completed, 
How do you assess Ten Hag's accomplishment in his first season in the job? Well, first of all, when I was walking in, so many fans were coming up to me and ask, asking my opinion. Excuse me. <clears throat> and they were actually echoing what I was actually thinking by the fact that they're saying, you know, virtually, we just don't want United thrashed or embarrassed today because it would just ruin everything that's been done so far. And I, and I agree with that because it would have been terrible if that had happened on the fact of, yes, it was City and something like that happening, but on the back of what United have achieved this season of winning winning the first trophy available, actually getting really what the club wanted, what, what Ten, Hard, Ten Hag wanted as well, was Champions League. And it could have been, you know, put, you know, all, all pushed aside and it could have been an embarrassment given how City have been over the last few months. But they didn't get thrashed. They did get beaten, but they got to two. They got to two cup finals, and they're finishing the top four. And there's an opportunity to play in the Champions League next season. <clears throat> what I'm looking for is the club to be prepared for it, which yeah. you was alluding to earlier. The, the only way the club can be prepared for it if the manager is allowed to go out and and bring in some of the players that he wants to the football club. And I don't mean wait until July, it's, it's too late by then. You've got, you know, the work has got to start and start already on its way now. And then by June and get those players in place, those players then can maybe have be on their holidays, knowing where they're, where they're going to start their new, their new place of um, work and move on from there. And players are starting the first day of pre-season with their designated clubs. And that's, and that's designated club, I should say. And that hasn't happened for a long, long time. It's still always if, buts and maybes. And any player who does turn up during the pre-season, you're not really sure if he was first, second, third, fourth, fifth choice. And does the manager really want them? That, that is the big problem. And that's something, if that's rectified, then United can bounce on. <clears throat> not going to win a Champions League. Looking to do justice in the Champions do, do themselves some justice in the Champions League. You're looking to... to try and start the season better than last time around. You're looking for them to establish themselves in a top position in the league because I still think you just don't go and win a league straight away given where City are at this moment in time. And then you look to to still compete in the cup competitions available. And, and that's all you're looking for. But to do that, you have to go out and get a minimum, I'm going to say three, but some might say four, some might say five, you need a minimum of three, four or five players who are better than the ones already there. Squad players don't come into it. <clears throat> it's just that first it's that first 11 that make the difference. They're the ones who have played the majority of the games. They're the ones who are 100% play in every big game. Games that matter, the ones that are important, the ones that make, the ones that make you step on. And that's the only way it's going to work, Wayne, if they go out and get players who are better than what they've got already. Yeah. Um, Patrick says, morning, gents. I mean, watched the cup final again a bit more objectively yesterday. I think uh, Tenog has got big game management despite the thrashing this season. It's a difficult one to call because the away form's been so poor. Um, but you know, generally, you know, obviously at home, he's, he's done a good job in, in those games. And yeah, it's difficult to tell on, on the cup final because of the options that we had up front. Obviously, Anthony was a big miss tactically because he does a lot of that work. Um, and you know, 
Obviously, Martial was a miss, but um, very disappointing to sort of see him um, injured, I guess. But that's brings up his United career. Um, you know, he's going to be a player who's moving on. Um, he, he says, I guess I have more faith in Tenag than the ability of some of our players to execute his plan. I, I do think that's fair, but I also do want to say that, you know, this time last year, all of us were very heavily critical of the players. There were probably more than one podcast on, on this channel where I was saying you wouldn't be surprised if any of them were moved on, really, by the time the United needed to transition into a winning side again, that was they were going to win trophies. Um, so... Yeah, and last comment from Patrick. Well, I'm not, last on the timeline, not the last one. You're allowed to make more, Patrick. He says, aside from the goals, it was a difficult match for City Hall and fairly quiet. I think that's a, a fair point as well. It's, it's not like it was easy for City to get into their stride. It was just comfortable for them once they'd scored the goal. They had the game plan um, that was there and United surrendering um, the goals that they did, um, so quickly. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about the just the summer briefly then and those that transfer activity um um casey says i'm not even thinking about players who will buy until the glazers do one now the ownership is uh, something that's obviously in the balance at the moment and i think the thing is like i would say that either way tenog will get backed for the decisions that he wants to make the ownership's going to affect the budget that he spends. Obviously, the champ qualifying for the Champions League affects it somewhat as well. So we're going to have some leeway, some leverage in the players we can buy and the amount of money we can spend. Um, it will fluctuate quite wildly depending on the ownership. Um, you would think that either way, Tenog will be backed. He'll be allowed to buy the players he wants to buy unless you get someone who comes in and just wants to sort of put their own players in place like um, the Chelsea owner you would suspect that everything's stable enough that Tenog will have that sort of luxury to be able to do that. But for the good of him and for the good of the club, it really is a matter, isn't it, Paul? I mean, I don't really want to talk about this too much. I think it's just a, a, a common sense thing that the takeover should be concluded quickly now. They should move. everyone. All the places are there. All the pieces are in place to sort of say, we can conclude this and move forward. So everyone <coughs> Understand and they can move forward, and then and then Tenog should be allowed to make the decisions that he wants to make. Right? That I mean, that's I, I know it sounds like I'm giving you a pretty um, straightforward yes there, but um, just thought I'd get your thoughts on, on yeah. that. It's called a leading question, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been saying it for ages. As good as things things are, have been, and now the season's come to a close. Now that everything else should open up and he should be allowed to get what he wants. Mm. And he needs that. He needs everything to be wrecked. Surely everybody, everybody, and when we say everybody, I mean the people who want to buy the club, surely they are, they understand it. That what, you know, you know, if they look and they, they, yes, they want it concluded quick because they must understand how important it is that it is to go and shop early for the fact of more than anything players, are still kind of restless, still edgy. You know, they've got things in their mind. They might want Manchester United, but if someone else comes there and yeah. they, they, they don't want to get caught waiting because if they leave a club waiting, their bargaining power goes a little bit, or I should say the agent. The agent does all that, but he's the one thinking about his money as well. He's thinking the longer he leaves people, they're going to start taking bits away because they're going, well, you're, you're using us because you want to go there. So it all becomes a little bit of a game in the end. And surely 
these people in charge are going to want the best, the better players coming to the club, you know, if they get control. So somewhere along the line, someone has to get over the line and get this closed off as quick as possible to take the club forward. The most important thing for me is that when the club has got over this line and then the people in charge are looking to then move on and give the man in, then get players in, hopefully they will allow the manager to get who he wants, not the CEO using a best friend as a sporting director or an agent to go out and pick the players that he's, his mates in the pub are said to get. Yeah. You know, in other words, a woodwood kind of scenario and end up with a load of dead wood on stupid money who can sit around for ages and not really play. That's gone on for too long. I just want to see managers or hear about managers getting what they want, the ones they want to work with, using their scouts because they trust their scouts. Their scouts will tell them, talk to them about them as footballers, or talk to them more importantly as people because it's about your personality. It's about how you conduct yourself around other people. Can you fit into a dressing room? Are you argumentative? Are you carrying issues that could affect a team's season? All those issues are found out by good agents, sorry, by good um, scouting systems. And that's why Sir Alex was more successful than most because his brother was one of the lead people and people underneath, they trusted, they trusted him as a manager to look after him in their jobs. And he trusted them that they weren't going to give him a, they'll give him the best possible player who was as good off the pitch as he was on it. Yeah. And that always always gives you a chance. At this moment in time, there's been so many bad apples which have turned up at Manchester United. And it tells you that this way of allowing these people to come in because they're a friend of a friend to do a job, club the statue of Manchester United should never, you're paying a manager so much money, let him, Actually, if he's going to go down in flames, let him be the person who's actually, you know, you know, the pilot on that plane. Let him be that one rather than someone else giving him someone because because it works well on FIFA. No, yeah, I completely agree with that. And that was the argument I made for Mourinho a while back, even when it looked like it was going badly. You can't give him a new contract and then not back him in the summer. And um, Ten Hag, the thing that you've got with Ten Hag um, is... Um, first of all, a good track record at Ajax, but then you've got the in, that sort of club structure of I like, can do it in a, a certain system. Can you do it when you move that system into a different football club, the size of Manchester United? And the thing is, he, the players that he's brought in have all shown the right temperament, and temperament's the key word, which is Anthony, <coughs> Ericsson, and Martinez. They've all shown the right temperament to play at that level, which means he's got good eye for what it takes to play at that level on that kind of stage for United. So the players that he's identifying, um, I mean, it's not, I don't think it serves as any purpose to go over the actual individuals. I mean, you took Mason Mount and Harry Kane are the two most heavily linked names. And until they're concluded, I think we'll let the speculation speak for itself. But at least you know that he's got an idea of what he wants and how that will fit into the system that he's building. Um, that Mike says here, early deals are important this summer. News on Mount seemingly appears transfer business is different. They're making an offer for Kane. If Levy is up to his usual brinkmanship, then move on. Absolutely. And I think United are are doing that. And I think they're, they're more power to them for doing that as well. Because, I mean, if they, if they don't hang around with uh, Spurs all summer, um, which 
we'll get them nowhere. You know, they'll, they'll find out very early if Spurs are willing to sell or not. Um, then not, we'll show a sign of how serious they are. Um, but it is a case of, like you, like you said earlier, Paul, getting the 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 sort of future of the entire club settled as quickly as possible, and then from well, at the same time, because you can't afford for time to stand still, getting these players in and out um, sorted quickly as well. Because I mean, there's a lot of players there on the edge of that squad now, Paul. It's a big squad. It's kind of bloated with a lot of professionals who. Um, for one reason or another, will surely be looking for somewhere else to play. <clears throat> I mean, Fred's been linked with a number of clubs, even though he's been a good squad option this season. McTominay is another one. Maguire um, is an obvious name. Martial as well. Um, obviously, depends on the list of takers, but I don't think those four players will have a complete absence of clubs who want to buy them. Um, there was even a rumour that Maguire might be using um as a make weight for the for the Mason Mount deal which would definitely suit United. I don't know how much it would suit Chelsea but let's put it this way. We don't want we're not when that one come up there was somebody who I know is a, is a big Chelsea fan straight away he talks about giving his season ticket back. He's had his season a lot he's had his season ticket a long, long time. That that just doesn't work. In my in my opinion I I just don't see that happening with Pochettino, he's, he's not, no. That, that, I think, that, again, that's just been, someone's just throwing that one in there as something because they know they know that Harry Maguire is not in Ten Hag's plan. It's an easy one to use. As far as I'm concerned, Harry Maguire doesn't, doesn't, play, um, doesn't play for a side that's chasing Champions League football, whose who's, who's mindset is Champions League football and winning league titles. He doesn't play. In, he doesn't play in those teams. Why? Not at all. It's, it'd be good for those players though, because you've talked about a few stayed at the club for maybe a bit too long. And I'm not saying that with Maguire because I think he has, he's been club captain, and even if he's been for, unpopular with supporters, the managers have generally kept him in their plans until this season. This this is the first season where it's looked like all right, it's time to move him on. Uh, but it. it I'm not talking about just Maguire in particular. I'm talking about all these major first-team players I've talked about just there. It will be in their credit if they make those decisions sooner as well, won't it? You know, like they... we've, got, we've got to remember, Wayne, as well, that football's changed where, in a sense of players in this, in this generation now are content to sit around and be a part of where before, at the moment you weren't getting a look in, you'll be knocking on the door because... Because you would have felt your ego taking a battering, being a bit part, you not even being around. You didn't, you didn't want to be there. You, you'd be around and you'd be grimacing because you're just not enjoying your moment. But now, I don't think that's there. That's there anymore. Players now will be content to sit around that little bit longer and wait for, it, especially if they're not going to get anywhere near the money. And and just because of the way they are, that you know, the way their lifestyle is, it suits them. You know, not many of them. It's going to be difficult to to get them to move on, especially now with agents the way they work as well. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult to to get them out. It's not as easy what people think it is. I mean, Chelsea have got God knows how many loanees coming back, so they've got big problems on top of the issues they cause themselves with these long term contracts as well. Yeah. They've got big problems, so it's not that easy in the in the you know you know. In this league, in the I call it the circus league because that's what it's going to be this summer. 
it is going to be it is going to be a circus what goes on in the Premier League. So um, can only can only lot of can only hope, but a lot of it Ten Hag is out of his hands because he can't. He knows who he wants to get rid of, and it's blatantly obvious who he wants to get rid of. But those players are sitting there on contracts, and they're looking to maybe where they're going to go next, and they're kind of going, "No, this is too good here. Why am I going to go there for?" And have to struggle and fight, yeah. and mix and have his, you know, and have fans who are going to have a go at me when I play because of where I come from. Why should I have that issue? Yeah, um, Kiss, he says Chelsea have about 500 number 10s, so this summer should be interesting. Uh, Box says we couldn't get money from youth players, Alanga, Annabel, Laird, and Williams. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame for Laird because I thought he, he would have a good chance. Hannibal as well. I talked to a couple of Birmingham fans who have um, you know, said that he's done quite well, but it's a big step from doing well for, for, for them than commanding a Premier League level. But it's definitely going to be an interesting summer anyway, and I don't think it does us any justice at this moment in time to comment over the speculation, but we will, I guess, at some point over the summer, Paul, we'll reconvene if there's like a major transfer or something major happens with the club to talk about it. Until then, um, enjoy your summer, guys. Um, heads up about the final. It's not that disappointing. It's disappointing not to win, but it's at the back end of a, a very good season for United. Um, I'd probably a bit further ahead than what anyone would expect you know, Paul would have been qualifying for the Champions League and getting to a, a cup final. Better than Paul um, is, you know, winning a cup and being there as well and playing good football. Um, so um, I think I think we're in good hands where we are and we're well placed to sort of continue that that upwards trajectory. So long as the manager um, gets the back end that we all hope that he does. Until then, guys, if you've enjoyed the pod. Um, please like and subscribe and Harry and the guys will be later tonight um, talking about the game as well um, and if you've enjoyed listening to us on the audio give us a review on the platform you'll listen take care guys and speak soon away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.